Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about to books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. Hello, Sydney. Hi, Justin. It's a pleasure to be recording our program again today. We've had a few weeks off. That's true. That, well, we had kind of a big event. Yeah, this is technically this is technically now a three-person podcast, but one of the people does not contribute, except you may hear some mild grunting and or crying hopefully right. not much of the latter no no uh, she's eating right now it's her favorite thing to do so she should be quiet but no promises no promises but we will we will do our best with this uh that you know you know you do in, pro- in audio production you do everything you can to try to eliminate uh extraneous noises you know i've turned off ceiling fans etc cetera, etc cetera, and i think we've just introduced a pretty big risk factor for it well, at this point, I'm hoping the only noise she'll make is maybe a burp. Maybe a burp. Maybe a burp but shortly. It might be something else, folks. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably edit that out, so you'll probably never know. Yeah. when I, I will say this. When she fills her diaper, there is no mistaking that no, that has you happened. You will not have to turn your, your MP3 player up. You will know that that has been the case. Anyway, um, we wanted to do kind of a different episode uh, this week. Um and if you're not into it, that is totally cool. We will be back next week with with a regular Sawbones episode. But um, yeah, ha- next week we'll return to talking about you know various animal poops that you can put on wounds and et cetera, et cetera. But and strange compounds you can eat. We did have a, a we've been talking a lot about birth and pregnancy, and we had a a. a <laughs> a medical experience for for a week of our lives um yeah we we've talked a lot about and i think a lot of my um opinions and preferences especially for my own personal birth plan if you will probably came through mm-hmm. in a lot of our um episodes before and so it's it would not be surprising i think to many of you if uh if our birth experience was very important to me and that maybe the fact that it didn't go exactly or at all, as we thought it would or had planned, would be kind of a big event for both of us. I feel like we learned a lot in in the week the the we were uh, sort of getting Charlie home, and I thought maybe as a medical experience and and our since we talked a lot about birth, that would be interesting to folks. And at the very least, it will. It, I think it'll be good for us to kind of talk through it. Um, so there, there's a lot of serious parts. There are probably a few funny parts now in retrospect. Mm-hmm. They weren't funny at the time, but I think they're funny now. Some more funny at the time. Um, but if you're not in for something like that, you can 
You don't have to listen. It's no problem. It's we, okay. Our feelings will be hurt. We'll come back next week and be funny. So, Sydney, um, why don't you take me to the morning of August 12th? It, let me say one thing real quick okay. before we do that. Okay. The story ends with this wonderful little perfect baby that's sitting in my lap right now dozing between meals and so it's got a happy end yeah so let me just it all works out it all works out okay in the end there are no sad endings here yeah okay so august 12th uh we went for our appointment with my obstetrician um and at this point let me just say we had been prepared by our doctor that a vaginal delivery was I don't even say probably not was not a possibility for me. Yeah, it, yeah. And and I may have mentioned this before, but my plan, my birth plan, had been not only, of course, to have a vaginal delivery, but I didn't want to use any pain meds. Um, I wanted to stay at home as long as possible. I wanted to go through as much of labor here in the comfort of my home with Justin, uh, and then come in when. You know, I was in active labor, my water broke or something to that effect. So the idea that not only was I not going to have that experience, which was important to me, but that uh, my doctor was saying, look, Charlie, our our baby girl, had not engaged, which means that her head was not down uh, low enough in my pelvis to, you know, for her to be able to be born vaginally. Now, Mm Um, a lot of people who are medical are probably listening and going, well, sometimes babies don't engage until labor. But there are a couple complicating factors. One, she was very high, as I mentioned, she was not engaged. And two, I have, well, what my doctor politely told me was not a 10-pound pelvis. <laughs> uh, which is a reference to the fact that my doctor actually delivered me. Yeah. Uh, you know, 31 years ago, right. barely. Uh, and I was almost 10 pounds. So so I have a small pelvis, and I was having... I think your perf- pelvis is perfect, by the way, for voting. Thank you for approving of my pelvis. Yeah, I do. And we were having a rather large child. Yeah. She's a big baby. She was a big baby. And she was not coming down, and I had had many, many contractions, some of which you have heard on our show, <laughs> some of which I've experienced... <laughs> Live on air of podcast podcasting with you, uh, but despite all these contractions, she was not coming down. And he had prepared us for a couple weeks that he thought, you know, inducing my labor was not going to be helpful. That it would put me through a lot of agony for no, you know, for no benefit and possible risk to her, and that a C-section was probably what we were going to have to do. So we scheduled a C-section actually for the day of that appointment on, on August 12th. I was past dates at that point. Mm-hmm. She was still floating, floating around in there in her swimming pool. And Sydney has, uh, 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 she doesn't get a paid medical leave from her gig. Uh, so she was accruing using accrued vacation and sick time. So, um, she had already taken off of work, uh, a, a, a week or so prior, a couple weeks prior. Um, so the longer we waited, the less time that we were going to have at home, which I mention only because it's interesting when you read a lot of like stats and figures and things and, and you make these assumptions about why people do certain things. But until you're like actually in a scenario, it's it's hard to say what you would do in, in any given scenario. But um, this seemed like we, we knew we were going to need the C-section. So we figured let's 
let's get this baby out and let's get this baby home. Yeah, and I'm sure, again, I know there, there are probably people listening who are thinking, oh, well, you should have done this or you should have done that or that that's what the medical establishment will tell you. I think that's where it's really important that you have a, a provider, whether that be a, an obstetrician, a family doctor, a midwife, you know, somebody who you really trust. And the fact is that I had complete faith, I think you did too, mm-hmm. in, in our doctor. And when he looked at me and said, this is what we're going to need to do, I believed him. Now, j- and just to add on to that, um, d- just to, to put a final capper in that, uh, if you were thinking about maybe like second guessing some of the things we're going to tell you in this episode, don't bother. Seriously, we don't. We I, we love you. We appreciate mm-hmm. the feedback. We really are not interested in your input in our decision making. I will agonize over that for probably the rest of my life. So yeah, we don't trust need any me. Help there's nothing there. you could say to me that I haven't already said to myself a million times over. I think at the end of the day, it was the decision we had to make. There are a percentage of women, as we said in our last podcast about C-sections, that are going to need C-sections. And I think I was one of them. Yep. And, you know, we're both here and safe. So, so hey. Um, so, what uh, we made the appointment for that afternoon. Uh, we yeah, we he set saw us at like nine, nine. And, or no, eight. And then we had our C-section scheduled for, for four. four. Now, uh, that being said... There were, uh, we were already kind of freaked out about it, but uh, around four, there was another C-section going on. So we ended up waiting another three hours just on pins and needles, like waiting for um, that to happen, which is fine. I mean, it's, you know, scheduling, whatever. It was just very, it was already like a little tense in the room. And then it was like, oh yeah, you just got to wait a few more hours. And all of our family was there, who we love, but it was getting a little intense with all of us in there waiting and waiting. And waiting and waiting. So, And and I, let me just say this. I, although I am a physician, I have had very little interaction with the medical field from the other side. Yeah. I am not, I have no, I've never had a surgery. I've never broken a bone. I've never had a lengthy stay in the hospital. Well, since I was a little kid, I have no, this was this was not easy for me. Have, I don't even go to the doctor, really. No, they're quacks. You can't go to doctors. <laughs> so you can't trust any of them. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna sort of skim through this next part just because it's still pretty like it's weird. What we finally got the C-section at seven. I walk in and see Sydney. She's on the table. I kind of avert my eyes because I don't want to see any of the gully works kind of thing. I'm just fa- mainly focused on her head parts because those are unobstructed with blood and, and, and doctors and stuff. So I go down and sit next to her. And um, on, on my end at this point, by the way, it has been pretty, pretty scary. Um, the, the OR, of course, is an OR. So it's cold and white and sterile, which I'm glad it's sterile. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and they had had to, you know, give me the kind of block that basically numbs and paralyzes everything from about my chest down. Mm-hmm. So I cannot feel or move anything, which is pretty unnerving if you've never experienced that. So the baby comes out. Yes. The baby is out. And Charlie, our baby. Charlie, our baby is out. And we see Charlie, our baby. Uh, and she she's looks, accompanied by a loud splash. There's a loud splash of Sydney's water. There's a lot of water. A lot of water. Um, but the, the baby comes out, and from our perspective, things seem cool for about thirty seconds. Maybe that I don't know. Maybe that long. Around that, and 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 she they, looks beautiful. They hold her up over the the tarp, the sheet. There, she's um, huge. 
man gorgeous and she looks like justin right away right away that was my first thought she looks just that's, like justin. that's largely because she was spitting up but <laughs> at the time but um about 30 seconds in it becomes sort of clear that something isn't exactly right Sydney i still hadn't heard her cry yeah was my that was what cued me in was yeah. Uh, I knew they were they you know they do what they always do which is take her right over to the little baby warmer and kind of scrub her down and you know move her around a little bit to make sure she's crying and screaming and they do the APGAR scores which are scores of you know kind of the baby's breathing and and tone and and basically a, a number that indicates how well the baby's doing within the first minute and five minutes of life friends <laughs> I don't have the words to describe what that those few minutes were like there were a lot of people in the room that were poking and prodding our baby and there were cords and wires and things and talking in hushed tones and Sydney and I didn't know what was going on and I will live the rest of my life and never experience the blend of joy and sheer white knuckled <laughs> terror that those few minutes uh, entailed. Yeah, that I have to say I'm kind of, I think you can, this is probably fair to say i'm a little bit of a control freak yeah and to have I, I knew that something bad was going on and to not be able to move and to also know that even if i could move if i did move i would you know die <laughs> because my guts were hanging out <laughs> that it was a terrible moment um i don't know how long it felt like an eternity it felt like years past years yeah know. years stars and were born and died in the time that I held Charlie real quick. Uh, I, I, we both got to give her a kiss and then they whisked her away. Uh, and that is when the joy part kind of disappeared. And then it was just the sheer white knuckle terror um, yes. uh, and helplessness. So there was like a good half hour where Sydney was getting sewed up and I was with Sydney and we just didn't know what was going on with the baby. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the worst. 30 minutes of my life uh we get sitting back in the in the or um you still can't move no i still can't move and at that point and i don't think i told you this i actually couldn't see very well because I, they let me leave my glasses on during the c-section and i was crying and i don't know if you've ever tried to cry while laying flat on your back and looking straight up not good it doesn't work very well yeah. and my glasses were all dirty and i couldn't see anything and i couldn't feel anything and i couldn't move and it was it was terrible um so I got to go up and see Charlie. Uh, they at, they let me come up, and I had to go up without Sydney because Sydney was still in recovery, and that this that was really 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 tough. Um, I go upstairs, and and here's the thing about this story, and the, and the reason why, as hard as this all was for us, like you should know that things never really get that serious. I mean, and, and this is why I want everybody to keep in perspective. If you've been through something like this and your child did have some more serious issues, like I, I can't fathom how much harder that that would be on you. I'm not trying to, to say that this was like the worst case scenario by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I'm trying to be honest about what my experience was. Cause it's the only one that I have context. No, for. in many ways we were very lucky. Absolutely. And we realized that fully. Um, so I, I went upstairs and saw the baby and they had her 
uh, they were giving her blow by oxygen, mm-hmm. right? Which is just kind of oxygen being blown through a tube that's kind of laid next to her face, right? Which is it's a good sign because that's not, as you can imagine, you're not getting a whole lot of oxygen that way. So if that's all she's requiring, that means she's she's not doing too bad. So what? So what was going on? Here's the here's the way I understand it in layman's terms, and I'm assuming most of you are laymen. So uh, sometimes when you do a uh, C-section on a baby. It, since it's not going through the birth canal, it doesn't get squeezed. And when it gets squeezed, a lot of the liquid that is still remaining in the baby gets in the sque- lungs. In the yeah. lungs gets squeezed out. So that didn't happen for Chuck. So Chuck had a lot of fluid in her lungs, and Sydney also had a lot of excess fluid. Correct? Yes. Like in your tummy. And we didn't know that ahead of time. A lot of women will know ahead of time. You know, you you may have been told like you didn't have enough water, or you had too much water. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know that ahead of time. It wasn't there on our thirty week ultrasound, and we hadn't had one since. And that so, was kind of it, right? So I go up there, and and basically the. I never got anything from anybody that told me her life was in danger, but she wasn't doing great. I mean, she was sick, I guess, for for lack of a better term. She she wasn't good. She had fluid in her lungs. Uh, She was having trouble breathing. She was having these spells uh, of tachypnea. Right. Which means fast breathing. Right. Um, Which is a sign that they worry about. And that was the biggest thing. Initially, we thought it was something called transient tachypnea of the newborn, which you may have heard that before. Um, if you're medical, if not, if you had a big baby or a C-section baby, you may have this. And it just means, just like Justin said, the fluid in the lungs. She's breathing too fast. Our thought was they'll get the fluid off and, you know, she'll she'll cough it all up and she'll be fine. And that was initially kind of what they were saying. You know, this baby probably will spend a night in the NICU. Right. And so, go back to the regular nursery. So we were kind of going back and forth. I was having a hard time, like. Imagine this, friends. Your wife has just been moved to, into the, a mother baby room, which is uh, not the not the room she was in before she had the baby. This is sort of like a recovery room where mother and baby are supposed to be in together. There's a chair that folds out that I can sleep on. Sydney's in her bed. Sydney's still immobilized um, from the from the uh, you know the meds right from her surgery. Um, so I was kind of ha- ha- having a tough time knowing where I should be because my baby was upstairs and my wife was downstairs and they both kind of needed me. And I really wish that there had been two of me, but there wasn't. So I was kind of running back. And here's the thing. These two areas were very far from each other. <laughs> they were on separate floors down many, many hallways. It was a good 10 minute walk between the baby and the wife. Uh, so that that was that was an unpleasant few hours. Um, and Sydney still hadn't eaten. And not just like that day, but since... Midnight the night, midnight the night before. before because of the surgery. So uh, she was, she was, I'm sure, starving and couldn't drink liquid either. So she hadn't had liquid since midnight. Now, to before. be fair, I was incredibly nauseous as the anesthesia started wearing off. So yes, so that um, was okay. As soon as Sydney uh, uh, was in the mother baby room, she insisted that she needed to go see Charlie. So we there was. Um, I don't know how to describe the feeling. It wasn't, I need to go see her because I love her because like medically or I'm worried. It was beyond anything like that. I don't know how to, how to articulate the fact that um, the, the idea that I was somewhere that she wasn't was so, I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't wrap my head around why she wasn't with me and 
I desperately needed to. I didn't want to. I, I needed to get to her. So that's the serious part. The funny part is that we basically conned two nurses into coming into the room and bringing in a wheelchair and Sydney still couldn't walk so these two nurses basically had to try to deadlift Sydney uh, and put her into the wheelchair I, I, I had no I mean I was total dead weight yeah, I couldn't I move I couldn't do anything flail her arms a little bit yeah um, and and as soon as they got her si- seated she she threw up so it was not it was not a, 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 a possibility every time I sat up I puked I couldn't sit up so it was it was bad it and was they bad. they don't like to let people in the NICU who are you know so, puking everywhere. So that night is still kind of a blur for me. We didn't sleep much. Uh we held off until I mean we basically stayed up until your um the anesthesia wore off. The anesthesia wore off, which was around 4 a.m. the next day and we and we rolled you upstairs and mm-hmm. you held Charlie and you didn't breastfeed her at the time did you no they let me try let you try okay that was and that's that's kind of a theme that will come up on um another thing that was very important to me was well one skin-to-skin contact with her early now obviously i didn't get any of that within the first hour like you ideally want to right um and i it was probably seven hours or so before i actually got up to see her Mm -hmm. but i really wanted that for her and I wanted her to be able to breastfeed as soon as possible because that's important too. Now, I'd missed a lot of the windows, but I you know, went ahead and asked right away, is that a possibility or you asked maybe, I don't know. One way mm-hmm. or another, they let me try to breastfeed, which was good because at least we got that in yeah. early. So we uh, that day we just sort of spent in the NICU, we were in a shared room um, where I mean, our, and and Charlie was in uh, what's called an isolette, which is those uh, glass, well, I guess they're probably plastic. plastic boxes. Clear plastic boxes that regulate temperature and, and stuff like that. She had an IV in her hand. She had monitors on her lungs and her heart. She had, um, and she had a feeding tube at that point too, right? No, no, no not they yet. hadn't done that yet. That Initially, uh, they were still thinking, you know, maybe this could just be a short stay. Now, that morning uh we it was when we found out otherwise uh we i tried to feed her we were there for a few hours and then we went back to i had to keep going back to my room to check in periodically so the nurse could come like take my blood pressure and mm-hmm. you know because city um, was still technically a patient yeah so they they make you come down sometimes and and then they kept trying to give me medicine so i had to take that sometimes <laughs> yeah she did not take a lot no uh, so we had gone back down to the room to to do that and to actually eat something because you can't eat in the NICU. And when we came back, the plan had changed dramatically. Yes. In the in the two hours we were gone. We come upstairs and sh- first off, she's got the tube, right? At that yeah. point? Yeah. yeah. She's got a feeding tube uh, down her nose, which, boy, if I had just barely started to adjust the, to the visual of seeing my daughter in a plastic box like that did not help matters whatsoever no and i should say that like one of the things patients have told me before because i haven't had a lot of procedures done is that a tube down your nose into your stomach is just about one of the most uncomfortable things that can ever happen to a person so, so this cool. is all well, that's going through my head over welcome and over to earth again baby sorry about that as i'm looking at her um we and we find out that well you should probably describe this next part we finally see a doctor yeah and the the problem is that 
Although initially we were told that the x-ray looked like she just had that fluid that we talked about. That now they're not sure if maybe there was an area that was a pneumonia. It could be a pneumonia. It could just be where she aspirated or inhaled a bunch of fluid and it was inflamed. Um, One way or the other, though, to be on the safe side, she was going to get antibiotics for the next seven days. No matter what. And that was it. Folks, woof. Woof. That's what that felt like. Woof. Ouch. So not only was our baby not coming to the regular nursery that day, like we had thought two hours ago, but now she was going to be in the NICU for a week. Which meant that at some point I was going to be discharged. And at that moment, I didn't know how much access I was going to have to her after that outside of visiting hours. Yes. Um, We were still able to the first night. We th- we had been told that we were going to be that Sydney was going to be able to stay with Charlie and feed her throughout the night. Yeah, they were still letting me try to breastfeed that day. Mm-hmm. So that day, even though my milk hadn't come in, I was coming up every two to three hours and now, trying to feed her. And she was, I mean, she. Now part I of, tell you, she's a champion breastfeeder. She, she is a great breastfeeder. She was she's really good pretty at it. Quickly. Now here's the thing though that makes that difficult. Um, she was very lethargic. She was sleeping a lot, but she was also on an IV with glucose in it and. When you when you're a baby and you don't have a great uh, you know internal clock, one of the things that tells you the main thing really that tells you hey it's time to wake up and eat is that you're hungry because your blood sugar drops, and that was not something that Charlie was experiencing. She was getting the glucose she needed uh, with without any any uh, help from mom. So that did make breastfeeding kind of a challenge because she didn't get hungry a lot because she was mm-hmm. getting the the glucose. So I was trying to wake her up to feed her and she was not interested, which is is rough because what eventually happened is they were just telling me to pump. And a lot of you may know if you've tried breastfeeding that the it's not just the stimulation of like that a, that a breast pump can supply that's important to get your milk to come in. It's all the, you know, the touchy feely stuff. Right. We actually did have some moments where Sydney was trying to pump him and I had a picture of Charlie on my phone back when we were in the room so she could look at her mm. and try to visualize uh project yeah. having the baby there they they tell you to do that they they also tell you to have like a blanket or something that smells like your baby yeah. and to smell it while you're doing it and that i mean there's science there you need those hormones that holding your baby supplies um the uh so that but we had been told that Sydney would be able to be up there um we learned uh, uh, that night at about 1 a.m. that because Sydney was still a patient, she wouldn't be able to stay uh, in the, she wouldn't be able to sleep in the NICU room. Which, let me just clarify, at that point, by sleeping, I meant that every three hours at that point, was it two or three hours? Three. Three. Every three hours at that point. 11, two, five, eight. In between feeding her, which feeding her was a, it was like an hour ordeal trying to get her to latch and then keep her latch and then she'd lose it and then rooting some more. And, you know, it was about an hour. So the two hours that I wasn't feeding her, I wasn't allowed to sit in a recliner and doze. I had to go back downstairs so and the, lay in my bed. And then Justin could push me in a wheelchair. So the hardest night, I think, was the night <laughs> that we would, you know, say it was 11 we would push Sydney upstairs. Uh, she would spend an hour uh, trying to breastfeed, and then Sid would get back into the wheelchair, 
and I would push Sydney back to the room. We would get settled. We would try to sleep for a half yeah, hour. And then I would pump, remember? Yeah, then you would pump, Because they told right. me to pump after every feeding to do everything I could to encourage my milk to come in. So then I would <sighs> pump, sit there and pump for 20 minutes. And then it would be about 45 minutes until we were supposed to start heading back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did that all night. Um, that was probably the lowest point, I think, in terms of like, I don't morale. Know. I think that the following morning was even worse because then the following morning everything changed again um we were told that i had worn her out by trying to breastfeed her and that as a result i wasn't allowed to the whole next day and not only was i not allowed to breastfeed her but we pretty much weren't allowed to hold her Mm -hmm. until very late that evening they let me try some kangaroo care with her Mm -hmm. yeah um but the whole next day we just had to sit and stare at her in her box and I had to pump, and I think that was probably the lowest day for me. Here's the thing about the uh, the NICU. Um, when we say stuff like we weren't allowed to, I know that sounds weird, but here's the thing that I wish I had understood before we went in. I think when we when we went in, we thought, you know, well, even if it's not what we want. Um, the, then we can press against it and you know nobody's going to do anything without our consent once you enter into the to the NICU we were genuinely afraid that at some point like we would uh, we would press too hard and like we can we are we don't have a say at that point I mean we we could we don't have the final word let's put it that way no that it's there is no the, the idea of consent doesn't really exist it's not like with an adult, you know, if, if I'm in the hospital, if I had said, you know, forget this, I'm leaving against medical advice, they would have handed me papers, I would have signed them, and I could have done whatever I wanted, because I'm a, I'm a grown up. Right. With kids, that's not true. If the doctor feels like there's something that needs to be done, and the parent says no, the, the medical establishment wins. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing. There's a reason that rule's in place. You know, there's a there's a reason that we don't allow parents to say like, okay, I know my kid has this or that, but you're not allowed to treat them. I'm just going to take them home and let them let them die. I mean, obviously there are reasons we have these rules, um, but it can be really hard when you're a parent who wants to be involved in decision making, who's there begging, you know, please tell me what's going on. Call me if changes are being made. If I'm not up here for some reason, if I'm downstairs. Please let us know. We will be right up here. We want to be part of this process. They're not, I don't think they're used to that. Mm -hmm. So you are not included. Right. You are not told what's going to happen ahead of time. Right. So it made leaving at any point um, uh, uh, terrifying. Terrifying. It was just because you didn't know what the situation was going to be. I mean, it was already hard because there's this little baby in a box that is yours and you have to leave it. Like that's, that's already like miserable. But to know that, like, things could just change overnight. Things could be different. Um, and and y- you wouldn't be able to – you wouldn't get the first heads up. Um, we were lucky at this point because by this third day, we had actually been moved into a private room, which uh, didn't have uh, – so moms are allowed to stay in um, breastfeed overnight, but the rooms don't have uh, uh, beds per se or so, anything really that you can sleep on there's literally it, a reclining chair that well you can you were there you, it doesn't stay reclined so the, the feet do but the back doesn't so you can push it back but then you have to continue to push it back to keep it back 
So actually, at one point, when I was finally allowed to sleep there, uh, one of the nurses had to tie it to like the back of the couch with like a restraint to try to hold it back so I could sleep in it. But the the bigger issue is that when you've had a C-section, your abdominal muscles can't be used for much without significant pain for a while. So uh, to get up from a from a flat, you know, or reclining position is almost impossible. So I kept getting stuck either in the recliner when it was tied back or there was a couch, a horribly uncomfortable couch, and I tried to lay on it at one point and I literally had to roll off of it onto the floor onto my like hands and knees to get out of it so and now, that was right out what's hard is that like that was like i was forced to leave at 10 p.m uh every night and yeah, i could come dads, back dads really have no i felt bad i felt worse for you yeah because as, as much as it sucked to try to sleep there i couldn't have been anyplace else and right. i i hated that for you that you had to leave every night yeah sydney actually she means that quite literally uh she said pretty early on that she carried her in and she was carrying her out and she wasn't leaving until the baby left. So there were five, I mean, Sydney was in there for a full week. There were five days though, that where Sydney walked between, um, the, her, our NICU room and a hallway, uh, which led to a place, uh, where it was sort of a lounge, I guess, where parents could, yeah, there was um, like a refrigerator and a coffee maker, and they actually had a bathroom with a shower in it, which was kind of nice. So that's that was Sydney's like entire world for five yeah. days, was just walking between the lounge with the shower in it and our NICU room. <laughs> they made me wear this bracelet so that every time I signed in, um, they would it was a, the, like the color denoted that I was a parent, so they would know I was a parent coming back. And I finally, after the third day, figured I could probably cut it off because I wasn't, I hadn't signed in or out, and I had no intention of doing so until we were discharged. Um, so, so those were like once the once we got past the point where uh, gradually what started to happen was Charlie needed less and less intervention. Um, yeah, once I mean they they got her out of the isolate and they let me after that day that I you know that I said they they made me stop breastfeeding. They actually let me start again the next day. Uh, that that I'll tell you if you are having trouble if you have a baby and you're worried about your milk coming in, the best motivator in the world is someone looking at you and saying if your milk doesn't come in in the next 24 hours your baby's going to have to have formula uh i think that was probably what uh ensured the the next morning my milk had definitely come in and i was allowed to breastfeed again thank god um yeah if you were like there's a lot of that where if you're a new parent i think anybody who's going to be a new parent has a lot of insecurity because they've never done it before well, imagine that. <laughs> imagine if for your first week as a new parent, you were um, there were definite goals that you needed to hit constantly, like the baby's temperature. There were were uh, weights of diapers and numbers of them that needed to be hit. There were uh, rates of breathing that needed to be hit. There were uh, imagine so there are like distinct goals that you have to reach, and also there's a nurse seated directly outside your room with a little window into your room where they can watch your progress uh, at all hours at 24 hours a day. Like, and, and okay, now, now go and parent. And also your baby's in a box and you have to change the diaper through two holes in the box. Enjoy parenting. It was really, it was really challenging because, and I think again, they're not used to having parents there 24 seven, like I was. Uh, But I wanted to do anything that I was allowed to do for her. So things like changing her diaper, I wanted to be, you know, or Justin, I mean, you know, I wanted us to be doing it. I didn't, I didn't see any need for those kind of things for 
you know, medical personnel to come in and perform those tasks. And it was important to me. And, you know, they do that all day, every day. So they probably know a better way to do anything that I'm doing. And that's really difficult because as a parent, you should be allowed to not know the best way to change a diaper the first time. Right. As long as you're doing it, it doesn't matter if you know the best way. But it's hard when somebody is coming in every time you do something for your baby and and critiquing you and telling you a better way. And uh, I know the nights were rough when, you know, when she was doing better and she would wake up and be fussy like any baby would and nothing medical, just she was fussy. And I felt like there was a timer. If I couldn't get her calmed down within the first two or three minutes, I knew somebody was going to come in and take her from me because they knew how to do it better than I did. And that's a really, um, I don't know, it made me feel, it, it, I lost a lot of confidence as a new mom as a result of that. Mm-hmm. We learned a couple of decent tricks too. I think yeah. we learned a couple of good things. But uh, overall, uh, so the fifth night, I have to leave. Uh and and go home so i go and i get in the elevator and i press the ground floor button and I start that long journey down uh to the ground floor and after an indeterminate amount of time i hear and the elevator stops and i literally started i just started laughing like seriously this is the week we're having where the first time i'm ever in a stuck elevator it's in coming home from the NICU at 10 o'clock at night okay great i push all the buttons nothing happens i try to open the door no dice i push the emergency button and i hear after about three minutes i hear a woman come on go well where are you uh i'm in the elevator (laughs) um did you try pressing the buttons yeah i tried i did try pressing the buttons (laughs) um (laughs) no dice there so then she says you want, well, you want somebody to come get you out? No, ma'am. No, I'm going to start a new life for myself and be king of the elevator. I'm going to live in this elevator now. No, I don't want any help. Yes, please. Okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna call him. Who? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm going to call him, and if we get cut off, just press that button, and uh, it'll call me back. I wait five minutes. And I eventually she comes back on and says, well, he's on his way. And at this point, I I have been broken and I have to ask, like, do you mean like when you say he's on his way, is there a man in the building walking here or is there a guy like in Chillicothe who's like (laughs) driving 90 minutes to come fix? No, no, no. He's he's in the building. Three minutes pass and the door opens and I see that. The exit to the floor above me is like a good six feet up. And this guy says, well, partner, I don't know how we're going to get you out of there. And I don't give him any choice in the matter. And I just start scrambling up using all of my my agility to put my foot up on the hand rest and like basically make the force this portly security guard into pulling me out, baby Jessica style. (laughs) Like, please, daddy, help me. Help me, daddy. I want to go home. So uh, I bust out of the elevator eventually. Um so that was that was the close since there aren't tvs in the room i was very thankful for this story because it was the closest we got to entertainment for the that story got through 24 hours just it did telling it to different people and yeah uh there wasn't a lot going on to the point where uh sydney and i uh would start (laughs) we would lie there and uh read each other one minute mysteries from this book of like one minute like 
kind of thing like um like lateral thinking puzzles lateral thinking puzzles were like he saw the broken glass in the ground and his car was missing but he knew he wouldn't have trouble finding it and why and then you ask yes or no questions to figure out like well he uh, was almost out of gas, so the car would be close by. Like, well, now you ruined it for Now I ruined that certain puzzle, but if you want another one, let me know. I'll come up with it. Um, yeah. No, that story got us a lot of mileage. Although I will say it was, the, that's another thing after you've had, and if you've had a C-section, you know this, or any abdominal surgery, I imagine. Um, laughing is rough at first. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> so, but it was worth it. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, since we said this, has a good ending uh charlie was getting better and better every day um the you know breastfeeding was going better and she was breathing better and they finally one at one thing at a time we got rid of the iv we got rid of the isolate we you know she was just in a regular bassinet and i I have to say those last couple days when she was just chilling basically right being a newborn only in the nicu (laughs) Yeah, those were kind of. I mean, I we, I was so thankful she was okay, but those were rough because all I could think was everything we're doing we could do at home except for the twice a day when she got a dose of antibiotics. And and at some point she had to, uh, they moved her IV to her scalp, and that was really hard. And then that wore off, and we were there when they put her next IV in, and um, that was. Ugh. I think that was the hardest part was all the stuff that had to be done to her. And I know that it was done with the best of intentions, you know, in terms of helping her. Um, and I know that she has forgotten it. Right. But but that was hard. Oh, we also, uh, uh, so the last day, we get to the last day of, of her stay, the last day of her antibiotics. Um, we were told that there was a chance, maybe, uh, that she would need 10 days of antibiotics, which was like, that was probably the most brutal, like one of the most brutal blows. It's like every time you feel like you're getting a leg up, um, you just kind of get knocked back down. Um, Cause we'd been counting the seconds until we could get out of there. Yeah. And she was doing great. I mean, that was the hard part. And for me, you know, I, my doctor brain was not functioning for the most of this. And I, I don't want it to with her. I want to be her mom. I don't want, I'm not her doctor. She's a great doctor a very good friend of mine and she i trust her completely to take care of her uh but my doctor brain was screaming she looks so good clinically (laughs) she's doing great (laughs) she's doing everything she's supposed to do please let us go home so we were on total pins and needles waiting for these results but there was one last hurdle we had to go through because um we had to watch two films uh about caring for our baby because we had been through the nicu um I don't think there's a re I guess NICU babies are more susceptible, many of them, to needing this kind of treatment. They're at higher risk for certain things that make this. Well, half of these. Okay, so there was one thing that we had to do where we had to watch a video um, uh, about infant CPR. And then, so, and then we had to perform infant CPR on this dummy baby. And I'm basically like performing infant CPR for a nurse in front of my newborn and just telling myself like if this ever happens there's no there's no freaking way no way on earth i'll just hand her to sydney like there's no way i can do this Which, this was useful training but like terrifying it's terrifying like i'm already horrified by what's going on and now like here's what to do if she starts dying like okay great that's something i need to think about right now um and then we had to watch a, a movie which again and actually babies not so much who had 
the issues that Charlie had, but babies who have more severe issues are at higher risk for things like shaken baby syndrome. But there was something called uh, The Period of Purple Crying was a movie we had to watch. And purple some dumb acronym. It stands like, for something that has to do with crying. It's a 15-minute video that I could boil down for you. Sometimes babies gonna cry. Don't shake them. That's the whole video. Instead, we get like testimonials from people who did not shake their baby. They couldn't find someone to own up to that. But they could find people who were like, yeah, I let someone hold my baby and then they shook them. Like I like it was horrifying. It turns it everybody terrible. into a strange. Everybody who will ever hold my baby is now a potential shaker that I have to. I know. Now we had to talk to all of our family about that. We didn't have to. We did because yeah, we were terrified. We said it like jokingly. Like everybody knows, like you, you know, don't like you know not shaker. Right? We we had, right? we said it jokingly, you know but that. like if they had stared deep into their into our eyes, they would have seen something that's like no, but really though. Don't was, shake the baby. And here's the thing. I had worries, obviously, as a new mom. I had fears and concerns. That was not on my no, list. That our friends and family, any one of them could be could be Jack the Shaker. And like, now, I did not need that. I mean, now it's on my list. Yeah. Now my list is so much longer. Oh, boy. Uh, there's a, So the labs come back. The labs that we were waiting on to see if she needed more antibiotics come back. She's great. Yeah, everything was fine. She was She was fine other than newborns when they're doing well don't like to be restricted to little nikki rooms they want to they want to get out of there yeah they want to bust out and see the world they also want their mommies and daddies to hold them all the time all the time at least that's my experience with charlie um yeah so she uh it was actually a really kind of weird moment because we got to a point where uh we we got our breast milk uh that we had been storing up all frozen uh we got a, a, the Batgirl outfit that we wanted her to wear, and then the the uh, Sydney uh, had to check matching bracelets, matched her bracelet <laughs> with Chuck's to make sure that they were a match. We all had to agree that this was indeed my daughter. Um, and then they took the um, the last thing was that they took the heart and lung monitors off, and I we had been waiting for this for a long time. Um, oh, actually, one thing before we get to that, uh, she did have to get a hearing screen. Because that antibiotic that she went on could make uh, could, uh, could damage her hearing. Could damage her hearing. Not something we were informed of before. And they didn't do a hearing test before she had the antibiotic, so it would have been questionable where the the source of that had come from. Had she actually had a hearing loss, it's a crazy thing too because the baby can't like raise her hand when she hears a beep. So you have to put brain scanning equipment on her to okay yeah it like pings impulses through her brain anyway it was fine it was the important thing it was fine the last thing they do is they remove the heart and lung monitors and it was actually a really sort of weird experience because we've been so looking forward to it like oh finally give me our baby but then oh my god you do not know how dependent you are on a tv telling you how fast and more importantly that your baby is in fact breathing um the the practical upshoot of this is that I still lay there at night after I've put her down for a good 20, 30 minutes staring at her, <laughs> watching her chest rise and fall just to ensure that it still is. Which is probably, I, I think a lot of parents could probably. Yeah. She's not co-sleeping, by the way. She's in a bassinet next to our bed. Right. I didn't want anybody to think we were doing that. Um, Although there are some people who advocate that. I'm sticking with, you know. She's in the bassinet. She's in her bassinet, and um, we watch her breathe all night. Yeah. Um, but she's doing great at it. So I want to talk about sort of like where, what the action items are for people. Um, 
and and I'll talk from my perspective, and then I I'd like to hear your perspective because I know that you know as somebody in the medical profession, you probably have a different out uh, view than I do. Um, I wish that, and and this is what I would tell any like prospective parents: you don't want to think about being in the NICU. I understand that that is like hugely hugely upsetting, but I saw several times, and I know we experienced it parents who did not even consider the NICU, didn't even think about the NICU until they were in there. And that is not the time where you want to be assessing a situation. I would very, very strongly encourage anybody who's going to have a baby, before you decide on your hospital and what, and, and, and even afterwards, find out about the NICU at the hospital you're going to. Find out about the policies. Find out what you can and can't do. Make your... Maybe you won't need that information. God willing, you won't. But... Make yourself an informed uh, uh, consumer in terms of like what is going to be the procedure if your baby does need to go to the NICU because it's a terrifying time and it's a really, really bad time to start sort of making your peace with a scenario. Um, and 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 that is something that I would I would strongly recommend to people is find out about it because once you're in the situation you have zero control. The only time you have control is when you're deciding on on where you're gonna you're gonna end up. And I think that it's also good to, um, if you are in that situation, and of course, a lot of the people who end up having to utilize the NICU are um, people whose babies were born premature. And in that case, it's a very different scenario. And, you know, like I said, in many ways, we were lucky. We were lucky that Charlie only had to spend a week there. If your baby has to spend, you know, months there, then it's a very different situation. You can't move into the NICU for months, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. nobody can do that and nobody would, should be expected to. Um, but if you are in a situation, I think, a little more similar to ours, or if your baby is spending a longer time, you can at least, you can assert that you're the mom and dad. It's okay to say that. Hey, what, are you doing something that I can do? Can I do that thing? Can I be a part of this? I mean, because that was the thing I kept asking over and over again is, I, I'm not saying, you know, I abandon the, the medical care to the medical system, but I want to be a part of everything that isn't medical. Mm-hmm. Everything that's a mom or dad job, I want to be a part of. And I don't know, and maybe I don't know if this is universal or if this was just our unique um, experience. I don't know that the that the medical professionals there are used to that. I think they, they certainly weren't they certainly weren't prepared for me to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't push it, they weren't going to offer it. I think that the the if I could go back and the reason I'm I'm advocating we're, we're advocating this and the reason I wanted to do the episode is that I I think that we spent the first few days of this experience seeing ourselves as people who should not be in the NICU we 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 saw ourselves as like we we couldn't process it you know and and I don't think that you know that was the scenario that's how we that's where we ended up but once you sort of decide that you are in the medical establishment once you're in 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 the medical system you're in the system you have to accept that and i think that like we spent a lot of time the first few days fighting against that and i think that we were a lot happier and things went a lot easier on us once we accepted that like we had decided to be part of the system and we are we should act we have to acquiesce to that because you don't have a trump card you know, and and you can sit and feel angry and 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 you know jilted that you're not having the experience that you wanted, or you can educate yourself about you know where you are and sort of integrate yourself with that process because we spent a lot of time 
sort of cursing the darkness and fighting against it. And I, and, and I think we would have been a lot happier if we had, we had accepted a little earlier and been a little more zen about it. And it's hard to, um, if you have been through this or if you're ever going to go through this, I imagine you could relate to this. I, I still have a lot of guilt, um, which is irrational because it's, we didn't do anything wrong. It's not like if your baby ends up in the NICU, it's because as a pregnant mom, you did something wrong necessarily. You know, I don't, I don't think I did. I don't think that my doctor did anything wrong. I don't think Justin, I, I don't think you did anything wrong. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, it just happens. It's just, you know, it was bad luck and it happened, but it's hard not to hold yourself responsible because here you are, this new parent, you will do anything for your child. And right now they're going through crap that you don't, you don't want to happen to them and that you would hate if it was, if it was happening to you. And I don't know, I, that, that was the hardest part for me is I, I felt really guilty. I think that's normal. I think that obviously it's not my fault and that it's something I'll work through, but but I just, I put that out there because you expect that if you ever, hopefully you don't if you ever have to go through this. Mm-hmm. We had said before, when we decided to have a baby in a hospital, we had, we had decided that like the reason we were doing it was because, it's so ironic in retrospect, the reason we wanted to do it was because of, because the, uh, the the hospital had a had a great NICU, and we are. Uh, that was our that was our whole argument was because we had really considered a birthing center. Yeah, um, we really liked that idea. That was and that was the birth experience I had wanted to have, very much so. Uh, not a medicalized birth. Keep keep the medicine as far away. It's not. It's physiologic. It's not pathologic. You know that was. You've heard me say this a lot. Uh, but then. It ended up. I mean, it was it was good. We were in a hospital, obviously. Right. I mean, that was and 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 so once we did actually have to n- need the NICU, then we were we were fighting against it the whole time. It's like, it. I don't know. I don't know if there's a lesson to be learned. I think we performed about as well as we could given the circumstances. But um, I just think that you've you've got to remember, and if you have had a couple kids before, maybe this would be easier. I don't know because our experience was as new parents but you are parents and you do have a right to ask and to you know get involved and to be part of the decision making and I think by the time I felt confident enough to be pushing that a lot of the decisions had already been made right um I feel really thankful that despite that well one that of course Chuck's doing okay and two, that we were able to, you know, get breastfeeding established and that we mm-hmm. got some time once we started pushing it. I got some kangaroo care with her. Justin got some kangaroo care with her there in the hospital. So some of those early days, we did get a little bit of, of bonding and skin to skin and stuff that, you know, I had worried would really be threatened by all the medical interventions. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that, I mean, it, it all we are We were extremely lucky. I mean, we were lucky that uh, we were able to get a private room since we were there for a week. We were lucky that uh, Chuck's doing great. We were lucky that we had a lot of really kind nurses that we interacted with that were were really wonderful to us and to Chuck. Um, and I was lucky, I, I will say, from the doctor that uh, took care of us, our pregnancy. The, um, I just can't say enough for picking somebody you trust because uh, he was he was a wonderful comfort mm-hmm. during everything we were going through, and and I don't. I don't regret any of that choice at all. No. Um, so we were very lucky, but the the thing I learned, and I, and I hope that you can take away from this, is that 
when there are unforeseen circumstances, the more you can do to be prepared for those, the less time you'll spend waste sort of like feeling bad for yourself and, and thinking how unjust everything is. And the sooner you can get back to, cause you're, it's like, it's like Cindy said, you are still the parent no matter what the situation is and you can still act like it. Um, and, and, uh, if I had been a little more educated about where we could end up, then, then I think we could have gotten back to that a little bit quicker. So, uh, it all worked out in the end. I think, I think everything. Yeah. Out, yeah. I mean, we, so we made it home seven days later. Yep. We're here. Chuck is doing great. She is gaining weight like a little monster. Yeah. A lot of weight. Yeah. She was nine eleven, by the way. She, when yeah, she was, that was born, her birth weight. she's back up now. She's probably over 10 pounds at this point. Um, yeah. She, so she's gaining weight like crazy. She's pooping like a machine. <laughs> like a poop machine. She eats all day now. Constantly. Yeah. She was on like a cool schedule <laughs> for like a, a week. Now it's just feed me now and then again. And then I'll wake up in a half hour and want to eat again. Um, I can tell right now she's nagging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was our experience. and It's also our longest show, so sorry about that. But uh, that was our experience, and we hope you learned something from it. I know that we learned a heck of a lot. And uh, and again, I know this was a lot of um, serious stuff and a lot of you know personal stuff, but one, we thought you'd want to hear the story of Charlie Gale McElroy, how yep. she came to be. Maybe she's listening to this sometime in the future. It's fun to think about. Yeah. And... Uh, and you know if uh, if this wasn't your cup of tea don't worry as we promised next week we'll be back with gross weird mm-hmm. you know medical stuff like we usually provide and um yeah and, yeah, and, and you can laugh again you can laugh again uh uh but until that time next tuesday uh i remain justin mcelroy and i'm sydney mcelroy and as always don't drill a hole in your head MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.